What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the BTR Podcast. Uh, we're once again joined by a very special guest returning to talk some NHL. So without a further ado, let me introduce him. He's now the newly re-signed senior NHL writer for ESPN. He, you could catch him on various different podcasts and TV or talk shows, radio shows across Canada and the U.S. He hosts his own podcast called The Drop with Arda O'Kell, which you could catch on the NHL on ESPN YouTube channel and various audio platforms. And as you could probably see by his tweets on Sundays, usually he's the president of the Zach Wilson fan club. The way he's dressed, but yeah, yeah. Something, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't usually get this gussied up. See the tie here. Microphone's kind of the way I don't usually get this gussied up for, uh, for podcasts, but, uh, there's a, it's a game night. So, I'm yeah, to, uh, to uh, watch the Rangers as we tape this podcast. Yeah. First of all, uh, that was a joke. I don't think he's a fan of Zach Wilson, but you could t- uh, tell by his tweets. But um, he was a fan last game. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if I was a fan last game. Again, I was trying to tell somebody the other day, like, this is exactly what the existence of a Jets fan is, which is that even when you win, it's complicated. Like, this guy yeah, sucks. Yeah. He's, he's a bad quarterback. And yet, you know, for one week, he looked great. And uh, and they won the game. So you're left wondering, okay, what what does what does the season look like if they didn't bench him? Yeah. You know, is he actually okay? And and you're right back at square one, uh, trying to figure out exactly what you have in this kid, and and that's the existence, the tortured existence of a Jets fan. Yeah, uh, we'll get right into it. First off, congratulations on the new contract. Thanks. Um, I don't know if it's Shohei figures, but <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> but I mean, you know, based on the numbers, I, I hope there's some deferred money. That'd be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, we'll get right into it. Um, you reported a couple of weeks ago. The we talked a lot when we brought you on last time. We talked about the international, how it could help promote the NHL across the world, not even just the U.S. But simple question: your reaction to the the international? I guess not so world cup stage coming back because we had two different reactions. Uh, we agreed with each other, but my reaction was more on the positive side where it was, I'm just ready to see some best on best Crosby versus McDavid or McDavid versus uh, Mc, uh, Matthews, you know, to get Hughes brothers teaming up against um, uh, McCarr and them. Right. His and reaction was reaction, like, yeah, his reaction was like, it's not really a world cup though. So like, how is it really best on best so on and so forth? So where do you rely uh, on that? Um, those two takes and what is your take in general? Well, my take is that it's not going to be a world cup. Um, they're not going to call it a world cup, which is to me, like the thing that made me turn, turn me around on it a little bit. Um, if they tried to pretend that it was a world cup, it's not, I mean, you're not going to have Russia involved in any, any way, um, to call it a best on best tournament when some of your top 20 players aren't going to participate in the tournament. Um, doesn't make any sense as far as trying to pretend that it's something that's not. Um, so once we got past that and uh, decided to kind of just make it centered on the U.S. and Canada, Finland and Sweden, uh, then I was kind of cool with it. Like, I've always liked the idea of there being some sort of like a Ryder Cup type deal in the middle of the season where you can put the showcase on some of your best players um, and then and then really amp up the rivalries. And, you know, two of the best rivalries in hockey are clearly the U.S. and Canada and Sweden and Finland, which has been a rivalry for, for ages. So uh, I like it. I, I like the concept. I think it's going to work. And I think the people that generally have a problem with them shutting down the season for this, you know, prefab, not world cup tournament are probably gonna get turned around. Like you said, pretty quick when they see Crosby skating with McDavid. And when they see the Kachucks and the Hughes on the same team, we've been waiting so long to see this generation of players get a chance to play on a national team together that I feel like people are going to kind of put their, 
hangups aside and, and really enjoy the hockey for a couple weeks. All right, so we all know Canada's one, USA's two. Well, who's the third best team in the international stage? <laughs> um, I mean, that's a good question. I, I imagine it's probably Sweden, you know, based on the totality of talent. Um, although I'd have to kind of meditate on who's playing goal for them these days. Um, Russia's included in this, assuming in the future they'll be back. So if, it, if that helps with it as well. Uh, well, I mean, I still think, I think, still think Sweden and Finland are better than Russia, to be honest with you. Like, Russia's got great goaltending, um, but you're going to have to supplant some of the, uh, depth on that team, I think, with like KHL players, inevitably. I I don't know. I think, I think Sweden and Finland are both pretty strong sides. Again, it's very cute that you guys think you're better than the U.S. Uh, I, I, I wonder again, like, you're, you're coming to war, you're, you're, you're bringing a knife to a gunfight with your goaltending, and, uh, and we go five deep. Like Jeremy Swayman would be the best goalie on Canada right now. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And he's, our Listen, guy. he's our fifth we, guy. We saw your article on ESPN, uh, lab, uh, putting the U.S. team. And trust me, we're a little bit like, damn, you have like three or four Canucks on that roster. So like, <laughs> we still gotta go against them. But outside of that, like, jokes aside, we're genuinely like scared when we play because it's yeah. gonna be like, well, okay. But the <laughs> problem, see, know? this is the problem though, is that like, our our level of talent and depth at important positions has now enabled you guys to go back to your usual default setting which is that we're the scrappy canadian underdogs you you do can i say shit i just said it you go do ahead, that all the time in world juniors where like you have the best talent in the world and it's always like we overcame incredible odds to win a tournament we always win like you guys love to pre- pretend you're the underdogs in this stuff and you never are and even in this case, you probably won't be because you're still rolling Crosby, McDavid, and McKinnon on um, probably like the same line together. So yeah. while the U.S. has tactical advantages in some areas, they're still young. They, the sum total of their talent might not add up to anything. In that story that I wrote, I talked to Mike Medano, and he had a really good point about the Canadians, which is that the secret to their success is their guys always knew how to like play as a team. And we were just like a collection of talented players. And I think that could ultimately be the undoing of the Americans. Like you've got to get guys like the Kachucks and the Hughes and whoever to kind of play roles on that team in some cases. And uh, for whatever reason, the Canadians have always been able to do it with like having the most talented guys on your fourth line and, and knowing that they're going to be able to play their role. And the Americans, you know, there's a reason why like guys like Ryan Callahan have been all-stars in the past because we need grunts. And our star players don't always know how to be grunts. So yeah. you, I still think that you, you guys are the favorites going into the tournament, uh, even though on paper the U.S. is is deeper and better. Do you agree that it's the closest as ev- it has ever been? Yeah, because it is because the, the Americans finally have, like, this generation has the kind of skill players that the U.S. had in the 90s when when they won the, the, the Canada Cup, right? Like, or the World Cup or whatever the hell they won in 96. Um, you know, that was a team that had like Euronic and, and Medano and Leach and, you know, these 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 big Hall of Fame level players that LaFontaine that could compete against or at least be in the same conversation against a Sackick or a Mario or whoever the candidates thrown out there. Right. And so that was true for a little bit. And then throughout the 90s, going into like all the way to Sochi, it's kind of like who was our best skill player, Patrick Kane? And then, and then what else is there, you know? So there was an entire like 15 year run. Most of the run actually of the U S uh, of the NHL being in the Olympics, where the Americans simply didn't have the same level of skill player 
high-end skill player that the Canadians did. But now, you know, to roll out Matthews and the Hughes and the Kachucks and Eichel and, and you know, McAvoy and, and all these guys and all the goalies, it's, it's, it does seem like it's more even playing field because the high-end players are there for the U.S. in a way that they weren't in the previous Olympics. All right. Um, I alluded to Shohei Otani earlier, so just a fun question here. Who, if the NHL were to get, for, get some type of contract incentives, like how Major League Baseball does, which player is most likely to sign the Otani contract? Is it as simple as to say it's just McDavid? Yeah, I, I think it's probably simple to say it's McDavid, but it's essentially going to be whoever hits the open market. I mean, like, you know, is there a better chance that McDavid or Dreisaitl hits free agency? I don't know the answer. I assume it's McDavid. But yeah, I mean, I think that he's probably the guy that would sign that deal. Um, and it would probably be a, a deal that gets signed elsewhere with a team that that needs to do it, you know, needs to defer money, uh, needs to get creative yeah. accounting. Like, you know, you could see McDavid going to the Rangers and the Rangers are capped out and they're like, well, we figured out a way, like if it was ever legal to do so within the yeah. confines of the NHL cap. All right, we're going to just get some quick reactions on some teams here. So we'll start off with the Canucks. Um, we are now a quarter, over a quarter of the way through. Do you know who this team is now? Because at the when we talked to you last time, it was, are they going to sustain this? Clearly not. Now, recently, they've been about 500-ish in the last couple of games. But yeah, your thoughts on the Canucks, are they still a playoff team? Uh, yeah. Are they still a playoff team? My God, you guys are spoiled. You get out to that start, <laughs> you become like a 500 team for a little bit. You still have Besser's scoring goals and everybody playing pretty well. Like, you know, it was going to level off at some point. But of course, it's a playoff team. I mean, you know, the bottom line about the Pacific right now is that the top three might, I mean, it's going to take a lot of effort for those top three not to be the top three uh, based on how many points they've banked and based on how well they've played. I mean, the Oilers have been charging up from the rear, winning seven in a row as, as we do this podcast and have gotten back to 500, but there's still a, a significant difference distance between them and the wild card still. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried in the least about Vancouver. I think they're, they, I knew they were a playoff team before the season. I think they're still a playoff team. I mean, the only reason we ask it because we've been in so much pain these past five years. <laughs> I know. Like, every time we see bad hockey, we're like, oh, we're back. <laughs> well, you guys know, I've, I've talked about in the, in the past, like the, the this inherent negativity from the Canucks fans exists because you guys don't know how to be happy. Like, you don't know how yeah. to be content. You always assume that, you know, I, and I, I relate to that as a Jets fan. Again, like, you know, I, if the Jets were like 12 and four at this point. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> you know? Like I'd find reasons to complain. I'd be like, our punters should be better or some, some such. Yeah. So like, yeah, I completely understand it, but yeah, like you guys are fine. There's no reason to worry. All right. This question is basically, I'm going to base it on the Hughes brother. Obviously Hughes and McCarr are, what are their chances for heart? And then my follow-up question would be, can all three of the Hughes brothers win their trophy? Like Jack Hughes with the heart, Quinn with the Norris, Luke Hughes with the Calder. I think there's a better chance of the latter happening than Quinn winning the heart. Um, if only because I think he's obviously like, as, as we saw in the latest awards watch has a pretty significant lead for the Norris. Makar is going to be right there at the end, obviously. Um, Luke has a path to the Calder. Um, it may take, I mean, if he beats Bedard in points, which is not mathematically insane to say right now, especially since Luke's going to have a, a larger role uh, on the team with Dougie Hamilton out, uh, then 
I think he's got a reasonable case to win the Calder. And if the Devils make the playoffs on the back of a Jack Hughes season where he's like top two in points per game, I think he can easily win the heart. Um, the, the trick, though, is that I don't think that I think if a defenseman wins the heart, it's going to be McCarr. And it's going to be McCarr because um, I think that he will be demonstrably better than, than everybody else on, on the Avalanche this year, McKinnon included. And I also think because there's already sort of that thought process amongst the voters of, okay, you know, he's the rookie of the year. He's the Norris guy. He's been a Norris finalist every year, but his rookie year, we gave him the con Smythe. You know, there's this whole kind of thought process of him being elite awards guy to begin with. And Quinn's never even been top three for the Norris if memory serves. So I think that it's already kind of in the ether that if we're going to make a defenseman, the MVP, it'll probably end up being McCarr. And also, like, because McCarr is seen as a modern-day Bobby Orr, and Bobby Orr is one of only two defensemen since the 1970s to win the heart, the other one being Pronger. Yeah. Um, okay, so in our view, the Kings were, like, the underrated, not-talked-about-much team. But I guess, I know they're still kind of are, but there's another team that I think has jumped them now, and it's from Canada. It's the Winnipeg Jets. What are your reaction to Winnipeg's season so far? Did you expect this from them? No, I mean, I mean, not at all. And you have to give Kevin Chevaldeoff credit for, you know, doubling down and, and, and sticking to his guns on Shifley and Hellebuck, not only to keep them around to sign them, but to keep them around knowing that, that maybe he had a team where if they stay, they could do some things. Um, you know, injuries are kind of a concern now, I think. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I think they've been the beneficiary of some pretty poor play within the division by some other teams. Um, but they've been a big surprise and, and you got to give them their flowers for, for playing as well as they have. All right. So the Capitals are playing well too, but it's not because of a Vetchkin. So how much of a surprise that is? And like, what is the take on Vetchkin, um, uh, catching Gretzky as well? Well, it makes no sense. Like the, the, if the Capitals were going to be a playoff contender this year, and right now they're in a playoff position in the Metro division, to have Ovechkin with the goal total that he has and to have the worst the worst power play in the league percentage-wise, as the Capitals do, you would have never guessed that. I mean, their power play and Ovechkin have been the bread and butter for that team for the last 15 years, uh, even more than that. So the fact that they are where they are and, and they're doing so without two of their mainstay components not clicking and, and without Backstrom, too, who obviously walked away from the team, has been nothing short than of, of remarkable. Um, Spencer Carberry certainly done a, a really, really good job there and, and, and has gotten the, the benefit of some great goaltending too. the Ovechkin Gretzky thing. We covered that on the drop this week, um, Leonardo and, uh, and, and took kind of a deep dive into why his goal scoring has trailed off the way it has this season. And also the impact that it's had on the Gretzky chase. And it's, uh, become depressingly obvious that if he continues to score at the rate that he's scoring this season, not only will he end up with under 20 goals for which is by far the lowest total he'll have for his career, but it's going to really set the Gretzky chase back in, in a pretty significant way where, you know, he was like 122 games away based on his career scoring rates and based on his scoring rate this season, that goes up to like 300 games. Like he's, yeah. he's doing some major damage yeah. to the chase and it's kind of depressing to think about it because I think we're all really hoping and really anticipating that he was going to put it, you know, assault that record in a pretty significant way. Yeah, it sucks that like he had a lockout year, half a lockout year, a yeah. pandemic shortened year, and another pandemic shortened. He probably would yeah. have been there by now if that was his, if that was the case. Yeah, as well. I mean, no, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, he he certainly did, it wasn't the you know the benefit of 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 any positive scheduling from the league 
things that are out of his control. And then of course that one year when, when Dale Hunter was the coach, that was also out of his yeah. control <laughs> and Dale Hunter trying to get him to like block shots instead of score goals, which was yeah. asinine. All right. In the Eastern conference, the Flyers are probably the surprising team that might fall, but who's your most disappointing team? Is it the Devils, Canes or the Lightning so far? Um, I would say it's, it's the Devils, but the Devils have, have some like, excuses i mean they had they had hughes and he out of the lineup for a good spell which it didn't enable them to succeed but also didn't enable them to really kind of like find their game as they struggled at five on five and then they've lost dougie hamilton now their goaltending hasn't been anywhere near as it's, as it was good as it was last year so there are reasons why this is happening the canes though are a real head scratcher because like it's pretty much the same team as last year their goaltending has been borderline disastrous they've not really played to their identity um the the devils when you look at them you're like i get why this is happening the canes are a bit more of a head scratcher and and that's why they might be even more of a disappointment than the devils at this point all right so we've seen some coach firings happen so just if there's any predictions for the next one to be fired or any that's like boiling on the hot seat right now yeah well i have a coach's hot seat piece on the spn this week and uh the hottest seat's still DJ Smith with the Ottawa Senators um, because of the new owner, because of the interim GM, because the team hasn't found any success and and the, and the players like him. And, and I think the team kind of likes him too, but at some point, you know, the, the blame has to fall somewhere and it usually is on the coach. The one that's funny though, is Lane Lambert with the Islanders, who I think if you asked Islander fans about a week ago, do you want this guy fired? They'd all say yes. Now they're like second in the Metro. <laughs> and, yeah, I heard you said on Halford and Bruff, I believe it was going to be Lane Lambert. <laughs> for sure. And then like half of them are probably still like fire the guy. And then, you know, it's hard to then, but there's it's hard to rationalize it when they're playing as well as they are and picking up points. So I, I think the only in-season scorching hot seat is, is Smith. And then there's a number of guys, Lambert being one of them, that might get reevaluated after the season. All right, last question um, before we close it out here. You picked the Oilers to win the uh, Stanley Cup. Now that they're on this hot streak, are you back on that bandwagon? Dude, to be back on the bandwagon would indicate I ever jumped off the bandwagon, which oh, I yeah. sure as <laughs> hell have not. I, I I knew they'd be fine. Like they they just got off the the hop on the wrong foot, um, and then like Connor went cold, and you know they made the coaching change, and all their under the hood analytics have always been pretty strong this season. It's just a matter of execution, better goaltending, and getting guys to finish the chances that McDavid were, was creating and all those things have kind of moved in the right direction. I'm, I'm confident they're going to be a playoff team. And then once they get in it, they could, they could win it. Sorry. Last question here. Um, the flames are kind of in a weird spot where they're kind of doing okay, but will they be the biggest seller uh, coming up to the trade deadline? They already traded Zadorov to the Canucks, but yeah, they else? should be like, I, I don't, I, I know that they're like a bubble team or they're hovering around it or they're getting a sniff of it. And, it's all very exciting, but again, like they, maybe they don't have the ability to take a step back and see what they really have there. But what they really have there is a supporting cast in search of a star, and that's the way it's always going to be. I mean, you know, they had two guys: they had Goudreau and they had Kachuk. The team was built around those two guys. Those two guys leave. What do you have left? You have a supporting cast, and and, and so, you know, they've got talented players. But I think they ultimately have to figure out what the next step for the franchise is. And I don't think it's necessarily to build around what's on the roster now. I think the best thing that could happen to the Vancouver, or to, sorry, to, to, uh, to the Calgary is for them to 
you know, start to maybe modulate their roster a little bit in the hopes of uh, increasing their draft bounty at some point, because that's kind of where I think the organization needs to go. All right, Greg, we appreciate you hopping on with us. I know you're busy today, especially with the, I think you're doing the Rangers game. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, though, uh, just promote your work. Where can people find you? Um, anything upcoming on the drop you want to promote right now? That you know, I think you said something about the Connors ranking Connors in the morning. Yeah. But we yeah. ranked Connors on a recent episode. We did a full Connor ranking both in the NHL and in life, uh, and in in life means also in fiction. Uh, so <laughs> do check that out on, on the last episode. You can find all my writing at ESPN.com, um, and then if you want my stuff that's sort of not hockey hockey centric. Uh, you can go to the Puck Soup Patreon, which is Patreon backslash Puck Soup. Uh, and you can uh, listen to Mise en Pod, which is a food TV podcast that I do. And then a podcast called Overrated, Underrated, Favorite, Least Favorite, uh, in which we tackle one subject and apply that test to it. And this month, we did uh, the original Die Hard, the overrated, underrated, and our favorite and least favorite aspects of Die Hard, which was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, everything will be linked down below uh, as well. Once again, Greg, appreciate you hopping on during this busy yeah. time. And uh, to everybody else watching, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.